0: From APM, American Public Media, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith.
1: We have moved from a set of standards around the country that were mushy, that were often pushing liberal agendas, to a set of standards that are quite strong, quite traditional, quite rigorous. This should be seen as a great conservative victory.
0: That's education analyst Mike Petrilli talking about the importance of the common core state standards. The Common Core is a set of national learning benchmarks for the public schools, laid out by a group of state governors that 45 states have adopted. Opponents have emerged on both the political left and right, but Patrilli, who works for the conservative-leaning Thomas B. Fordham Institute, says the new standards are a huge step forward for American education. The Fordham Institute has been grading state standards for more than a decade and finds most of them inadequate. But truly sat down with American Radio Works correspondent Emily Hanford to talk about how previous state education standards fell short and why the Common Core will be better.
2: What is at stake with Common Core? I think what's most
1: important about it is that we've got all this testing going on in this country, and yet the results are not telling people the truth about how our students are really doing. So uh, because most states have just simply set the bar too low, both in terms of the standards, but especially when it comes to the tests— Uh, and what it takes to get a passing score in the test, we have created this impression for many parents uh, and educators that their kids are doing fine. Uh, And those kids are passing their classes, getting good grades, passing these end-of-the-year exams. And then they graduate from high school, many of them go to college, and a huge number of those students are told, you're not ready, you have to go back and retake math, retake English, do remedial education. We have not set standards for our K-12 system at a place where the real world has set the standard, which is what kids need to know and be able to do to be able to either start from day one in college or go out and get a decent paying job. And so a big part of Common Core is to say, look, we have got to raise that bar uh, and, and make sure that throughout the grades, uh, if, if a student is not on track for college or career readiness, we have the guts to tell that student and their parents that that is the case
2: there were various calls for national standards and national tests that fell apart for various reasons in yep. the 90s. But then our national focus really turned more to testing and away from yep. standards with no child left behind. So what was that?
1: I think what happened was in the 90s, the states were asked to set these standards, and most of them did a terrible job. You know, they what they did is, and you can understand this, they got a bunch of teachers together in a room, and they said, okay, English teachers, what should the English standards be? Well, we, most of us know what it's like to develop something by committee that's not necessarily uh, bound to result in something strong. And so you had either everything but the kitchen sink in these standards, or you had standards that were a lot of, full of jargon, vacuous, not very specific. And so they weren't actually very helpful. Teachers couldn't pick them up and say, okay, now I have a good sense of what you want me to teach in the third grade. Or what's going to be on the test? Parents couldn't say, okay, now I really get it where Bobby is supposed to be by the end of the fifth grade. What happened then was that the tests that were linked to these standards became the standards. Uh, Because there wasn't much on the standards, people just looked at what was on the test and said, okay, now I know what they're asking for, and I'm going to teach to that. Because the tests were relatively cheap... Uh, because they were relatively low level, um, particularly because the passing scores were set so low. uh, What were on those tests were very low level skills. And so particularly in schools where students were not doing well, where a lot of kids were poor, especially, there was a lot of pressure to teach to those low level skills. And that's exactly what happened.
2: You were grading these states for so many years and giving them pretty consistently bad grades. And there were certainly other people who were talking about how bad the standards were. So was that creating any pressure on them? Like what was going on? (laughs)
1: Well, we, we wanted it to. I mean, to be honest, uh, we would come out with these reports and we would feel like that the press would report on them, but the states largely ignored them for many years. What, you know, unfortunately, we would go back and look at these state standards and many were still getting D's and F's. And that was because their standards were just terrible. A few states over time started paying attention to them. There were always some exemplar states, even from the beginning, a handful of states that we thought had solid standards. California, we thought had very good standards. Indiana, uh, eventually Massachusetts came to adopt some very good standards. And some states, to their credit, did start to look to those other states. The District of Columbia, for example, uh, developed a great set of standards modeled on, on what Massachusetts and Indiana had done. There was some movement, but the picture was not getting dramatically better. Meanwhile, we were doing some analyses of the tests and trying to understand where they were set, and, uh, and it was very clear that the tests were continuing to be set at a very low level. You know, so states would report, for example, that 80 or 90 percent of their kids were proficient in reading and math, doing great, and we would know from the National Assessment of Educational Progress, a more independent assessment, that no, actually the numbers were more like 20 or 30 percent, so somebody wasn't telling the truth.
2: So the Council of Chief State School Officers and the National Governors Association finally came together and started to really make these standards. And then it was pretty quick. Yeah, well, so
1: they they did. They started in 2007. Uh, By 2008, 2009, they were working on drafts. And along the way, of course, President Obama was elected. Uh, We were in the middle of this this terrible economic crisis. Uh, He passed uh, through Congress the Economic Stimulus Bill. Part of that was $100 billion to basically bail out the public education system and to keep teachers from getting fired. He pushed for a $4 billion Race to the Top program. This would be an attempt to try to encourage states to embrace reforms. And if they did so, they would get a chance at winning a piece of this $4 billion. Now, the states were desperate for the money. This was a time of of great crisis. And so states were real interested. And importantly, uh, but but also, in, in some ways, tragically, uh, the administration included Common Core as a part of that race to the top. They said, if you adopt these Common Core standards, you will have a better chance at winning this money. And very quickly, 45 states plus the District of Columbia signed up. And there's little doubt that the race to the top incentive was a big part of that. Now, I think that we still would have seen a few dozen states go forward with the Common Core even without race to the top, but I don't think we would have gotten anywhere near 45 were it not for that federal incentive. Now, the the downside is that uh, this has become a poison pill for many people on the right. Uh, You know, all along, the design was it was going to be state-led. This was going to have no federal involvement. Suddenly, it was a federal incentive. This money uh, that was encouraging states to participate, and this be- made made Common Core uh, really a, it w- was a deal breaker for many people on the right. There was it was now tainted by federal involvement, and that was a big problem.
2: What about the standards themselves? What's yeah. so good about the Common yeah. Core standards?
1: So when we looked at these standards, we graded them a B plus for English and an A minus for math. So we think they are solid, but not perfect. Uh, But they're quite good. Uh, The math standards are particularly good When it comes to teaching arithmetic in the early grades, they are very solid, in many ways very traditional, even conservative. They want kids to know their math facts, their times tables. They don't want little kids using calculators. They really understand that young kids need to know their arithmetic cold so that they can later get on to the more higher level math and the conceptual understanding. Uh, The English standards are particularly strong at teaching phonics and other forms of early reading to make sure kids learn how to decode. Uh, the English language. And then they also do something very important that almost no other states had done. They said, once kids learn how to decode the language, the way they're going to become better readers is if they read a lot of challenging fiction and nonfiction, that we have got to bring back history, science, literature, art, music, civics, back to the elementary school curriculum.
2: So where did all of that science and history and nonfiction go in elementary school and why?
1: You know, I think in in some respects it's been gone for a long time, right? I mean, there has been for for decades this idea that reading is a skill. Uh, And that uh, it's first the skill of decoding the language, that part's true, but then that you have to teach skills like finding the main point of a paragraph and and learning about narrative and all these sorts of things. Well, some of that's important. Okay, but what got missed was the idea that actually what helps us become better readers is that we know about something. Some great studies showing that kids who may look like they're terrible readers, if they know about baseball and love baseball, and you give them a passage about baseball, they look like they're great readers, right? It's the content knowledge that allows us to make sense of whatever we read. So, what we have to do with young people then is give them that content knowledge and systematically in all of these different domains. Uh, and that part, I think, has been missed. Then, I think, no. Child Left Behind, further put pressure on schools to get rid of history and science because there was this manic focus on boosting reading skills, boosting the math skills. And unfortunately, many schools responded by saying, well, we're just going to double down on reading and on math and do even less history and science. We'll get to that later. And that was a tragic mistake, and I think the Common Core standards are in many ways trying to correct that.
2: So your previous research on standards shows that the old state standards sort of were treated like wallpaper. You know, a lot of people didn't really pay attention to them. So what's different about Common Core? How come this isn't going to be the same?
1: I think the lesson from from the last 15 years is that what's on the test at the end of the day becomes the standards, and so these new assessments, these new tests that are being developed, are critically important. And the question is, are they going to be faithful to the challenge and rigor of the Common Core? If they are, then teachers will look at those tests and say, okay, I really, they're serious. I get it. What they want me to teach these higher level skills and, and this real content knowledge? If they're not, we're going to go back to, you know, teaching what's on the test. So that part is a work in progress. Um, I do think that because the standards are, are clearer, there are fewer of them, they're more focused. Teachers are telling us that they're more teachable. They're paying more attention to them. They feel like they're giving them clearer direction about what they're supposed to teach than the old standards do. So in that respect, I think uh, you know there's reason to be optimistic.
2: So what are your biggest concerns about the the legislative sessions coming up hmm. soon? You know what what are you worried about could happen with the Common Core effort so far?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there's still a lot of pressure, particularly from the right, for states to pull out of the common core uh, and to dump the standards and to either go back to their old standards or come up with a new set of standards. My big worry on that is that we will, that that kind of process will result in the kind of low or vague standards that we had before. I mean, we have good standards on the table. We should stick with it. The other big problem is that we are three years into this. You know, teachers out there are implementing these standards. They like the standards. Uh, School districts have spent money training teachers. They have spent money buying new textbooks and other curricular materials. So to do a U-turn now means wasting a lot of effort, wasting a lot of time. And the worry is going back to standards expectations that were not as high. So, uh, and, and, really for completely political reasons, right, because, you know, there's this very small but vocal minority of people on the right who are worried about some of these issues, some of which I think are, are valid, some of which are not at all valid, uh, but are, are, you know, pushing states to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater.
2: So what do you say to your fellow conservatives um, yeah. to convince them
1: So what I say is that it has been conservatives for 30 years who have supported higher standards and greater accountability for our public schools. Now, that's not all we've supported. We also support greater parental choice in education and many other reforms. But that we have pushed for this. Uh, since Ronald Reagan, we have been pushing for greater accountability and higher standards. And finally, we, have this, we are on the cusp of a great victory. Now, I understand the federalism concerns. But for me, uh, the, you know, this federal taint, while a problem, uh, you know, I think is outweighed by all the positives that come along with the Common Core. Okay, so are
2: you convincing your fellow conservatives? Well, we haven't lost any states yet.
1: So, look, I, I think that for, for all the noise and uh, for all the activity, it's pretty impressive that we still have 45 states plus the District of Columbia on board. haven't lost a single state. Uh, haven't had a single state say they're no longer going to use the Common Core standards. Now, we have had a few states say they're not going to use the related assessments. And again, that's that's totally that is their right to do that. Um, we'll see. It's going to be another tough legislative session. The challenge for opponents is to figure out what their plan B is. You know, we are at this point only 15 months away from the first assessments to be used with these Common Core standards. So if it's not going to be the Common Core, what else are they going to use next school year to assess students? And I don't think they have a a realistic answer for that.
0: That was education analyst Mike Petrilli of the Fordham Institute talking about the road ahead for the Common Core, a set of public school learning standards that 45 states and the District of Columbia will start using this fall. He spoke with American Radio Works correspondent Emily Hanford. In the coming months, we'll have more about the new standards and how they're supposed to be changing teaching and learning find out more about that here on the podcast. You can find a link to the Fordham Institute's Review of State Education Standards on our website as well as their review of the Common Core. That's at AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, browse the archive of more than 100 documentary projects and let us know what you think of our coverage. AmericanRadioWorks.org. We're on Facebook at American.RadioWorks, and you can follow us on Twitter at amradioworks. Support for American Radio Works comes from Lumina Foundation, the Spencer Foundation, and the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith, thanks for listening. This is APM, American Public Media.